Good morning, everyone. How are we all doing today? Awesome. We're glad that you're here with us here at Morningstar in Quakertown and joining us online as well. And all those who are over at the Pennsburg campus, we're glad that you're here with us today. Uh, as video said, my name is Mike. If you are new, uh, I serve as the student pastor here at Morningstar Fellowship. Uh, I'm looking at those uh, verses that are up there in the video. And I, I don't know about you, how many of you come in maybe this year, or maybe even today, you've, you felt a little anxious? Maybe, maybe you felt a little fearful. Maybe, maybe you come in this morning and you see that we're doing a uh, sermon series on joy in the midst of anything, and you're in here this morning, you're like, I have no joy right now. Our goal over the next several weeks as we prepare for the Christmas season and that, uh, with all everyone who's going to be up here, our goal is to help you guys find hope. Help you guys find joy, and not an artificial joy, not a technique joy where you put on this false face and think everything's okay when inside you know you have things that you're struggling with. We all struggle with something, but we want you to find a real hope, a real joy in Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to start in the book of Philippians. We're going to look at the first 11 verses, but before we get to the book, I just want to give a little background about the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter and a little bit about the Philippian church. Uh, if you've grown up in church for a while, maybe you haven't, this is your first time in the church, uh, the Apostle Paul was not a Christian at one time. He wasn't a Christian at one time. If you were to, if you were to read the book of Acts, uh, the first, uh, if you read books, uh, chapter 7 through 9, you'll see that the Apostle Paul was not a Christian at first. He actually despised Christians. At the beginning of chapter 7, he, he uh, helped uh, encouraged the stoning of Stephen, who was uh, proclaiming the gospel message, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't like it, so they stoned him, and Paul encouraged it. And so from that day forward, he decided to make it a living hell for any Christian who was walking through and going through cities. And at one point on chapter 9, as you'll read, as he's on Damascus Road, writing to, ready to go persecute more Christians, to throw them in jail, to actually see them killed for their faith, Paul has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's from that point on that the Apostle Paul, he actually changed his name, his name was Saul, and then changed it to Paul, became a follower of Christ. And as you read through the book of Acts, uh, especially Acts, 60, Acts 16, we read about the Macedonian vision. And this is where the birth of the Philippian church was located. And through that vision, and we'll get to Acts 16 in a little bit, through that vision there are joyous things that are happening in Philippi, but there's also persecution, and, and um, Paul's actually arrested at that point for a little bit. And so after he plants the church and continues on, 10 years later, in about A.D. 62, he's arrested again and he's sent to Rome. And at this point, this is when he's writing his letter to the Philippians. And he's encouraging them to have joy. Did you miss the part that he was in jail? <laughs> uh, you would think they would be writing a church, I'm sorry, you would think the church would be writing a letter to him to encourage him to have joy, but it's the other way around. It's the Apostle Paul encouraging the church in Philippi to have joy. And one of the things, one of the common themes that we see in the book of Philippians is that Paul is telling every Christian in Philippi to live as a citizen of a heavenly city by growing in their commitment to serve God and one another. 
say again, Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi and to the church here in the 21st century to live as citizens of a heavenly city by growing in their commitment to serve God and one another. And Paul encourages the people and encourages us today in many ways. One, to make spiritual progress. You know, it's not okay to just stay where you are spiritually. We are to make spiritual progress. We recognize that Christ is the supreme example for the Christians. It's Christ's examples. As Christians, we are following Christ's example. Here's another thing. Suffering will come. I think all of us in here can say that we've dealt with some suffering. But Christians can still be joyful. Prayer is crucial for maintaining a joyful life uh, in the Christian life. And the last one, and this is what we're going to focus on heavily this morning, is Christians can enjoy rich relationships with one another. They can be united in service to promote the gospel. They can be united in service to promote the gospel. And I believe when I was reading through that, this is what we really need to talk about, that last part, united in purpose. Because I don't know about you, I, I see in culture, and I actually see in God's house as well, across America, that the enemy is looking to kill and destroy the church. The, the enemy is trying to divide the church, and we're going to get into that a little bit. And my goal here this morning is to encourage us to not be divided as a body of Christ, but to be united as the body of Christ, going out together as partners to proclaim the gospel message. Here in Quakertown, yes, here in Quakertown, in Pennsburg, in Perkesee, in Coopersburg, all the surrounding areas, because I, I think it. It's not just my dream, but I think it's everyone on staff and everyone who serves here that we have a dream to see the kingdom of God go through all these communities and turn the communities upside down for his glory. And so I, I hope and pray this morning if you are new or you've been with us for a while and you've lost that fire, you've lost that passion, I pray this morning that you, uh, rehab, you have that zeal again. And, and I pray through these next 11 verses that we can see what it's going to take to be partners in the gospel. So if you would join me, I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses, and I'll be reading from the ESV version. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affectioning of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure with blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, and the glory and praise of God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. 
I thank you for every individual that's here at Quakertown, every individual that's over at Pennsburg, and every individual that is joining online this morning. Father God, I, I ask for your help this morning. Holy Spirit, give me the power and the authority to speak your word with truth and love, Lord God. And I pray here at Quakertown that everyone has ears to hear and hearts that are open to receiving the truth of the gospel message, Lord God. And I pray for Pastor John over at the Pennsburg campus, Lord God. I pray that you give him the authority that he needs to speak truth and love to everyone that's over there, Lord God. We thank you for what you're doing here at both campuses, Lord God. We thank you for everyone that is here, whether they've been with us for years or this is their first time at either campus or online, Lord. It's not by accident that they are here. It is by your sovereign plan that they are here, Lord Jesus. And we give you all glory and honor of what's going to take place here today. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So as I said, my goal here is for us to understand being partners in the gospel, or uh, as other translations would say, being in fellowship with the gospel. And so partnership or fellowship, I know in some of your translations it may say fellowship, this means that self-sacrificing conformity to a shared gospel. Partnership is a self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. And the shared vision of the church is the spreading of the gospel message. You know, when we come here on a, on a Sunday morning and people ask him, what's the vision of Morning Star Fellowship? Spread the gospel message. It's our number one core value. It's all about Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes we can complicate this. I think we can complicate the vision and, and try to add other things to it, but Jesus keeps it simple. Just go make disciples. Go make disciples. And, and I was reminded of this simplicity of sharing the gospel message, message, this shared vision, by a young man in our student ministries. His name is Ryan Roman, and unfortunately he's not here this morning because he's not feeling the greatest. But Ryan Roman decided to apply to be a student leader within our student ministries. And he filled out the application, and it was very detailed, and you could tell he took time to fill this out. He wanted to be a student leader within the ministry. And when I interviewed him and was sitting down with him, I could tell he was nervous, so we, we cracked some jokes so he would, you know, get rid of his tension and everything like that. And I got to the one question that I asked all the other students. I said, why do you want to be a student leader? And he sits there for a moment, he pauses. I think he was a little nervous. He was like, I want to say the right words and not mess this up. But I think he was collecting his thoughts. And he, and he says this. He says, Pastor Mike, I want to be a leader because, number one, I want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and I also want to grow in the love of Jesus Christ. And I was like, that's really good. That's awesome, man. He's like, wait, 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 there's more. I was like, Okay. The reason I want to grow into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the reason I want to grow in the love of Jesus Christ is so I can go out there and have the confidence to share the gospel message with friends, families, neighbors, anyone I don't even know, just to say, you need to know Jesus. And then he ends it with this, and I, I teared up when I heard this. He's like, and the reason I want them to do, I want to do this is so I can bring people here in God's house so we can all worship the Lord together. That, that is a shared vision 
of the gospel message. 14 years old, the simplicity of spreading the gospel message. But here's the thing we, we need to recognize, though. That if we want to spread the gospel message, if we want to be partners in the gospel message, we need to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. We must have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because if you don't have fellowship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to want to go for the vision of what Christ is saying. And I say this because in verse 5 of Philippians, as we read, it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is encouraging the people, like, listen, I've loved your partnership from the first day you were converted. And what we've been doing to sharing the gospel message. So if we are going to be in partnership together, we need to make sure we are in partnership or in fellowship with Jesus Christ. But we, need, we also need to be careful of sins in our life. Because just like sins can break fellowship with God, there are sins in the church that can break our fellowship with one another. And I don't know about you, but in 2020, we, there seems to be a lot of division, a lot of not united purpose, but my own purpose in a sense. And so I want to focus on three different things, three sins that can break our fellowship together as the united body. And I would encourage you as well, after this sermon, to go listen to Pastor John's sermon. Because I'm going to be talking about the body as a whole. John's going to talk at Pennsburg individually on how to continue to build relationships with one another individually. And I think both of them will coincide very well. So with that, sins that break our fellowship. Number one is discord. Number one is discord, and discord is the lack of agreement or harmony between persons, things, or ideas. Discord is the lack of agreement or harmony between persons, things, or ideas. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says the following, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Listen, this isn't just something that God's like, oh no, this is a bad sin. It's an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such a person do not serve our Lord Christ, but their, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And there's many different ways that division can, can come into the body of the church. One is through false teaching. Another way is through uh, celebrity pastors, where, where you say, well, I'm only going to follow this pastor, or I'm only going to follow this pastor. And Paul actually says in his letters to Corinthians, Stop doing that. You're, you're not here to follow men. We're all following Christ as one body together. And there's other ways that division could come into the church, and it's through cultural influence. I, I don't know about you, but in 2020, I am shocked how much this piece of fabric has caused division, not just in America, but within our church. Can, can, I, can I just be honest and blunt in a loving way with you guys? I, I, don't, I don't care what side of the spectrum you're on with masks, if you're to the extreme that we need to be wearing them all the time, or 
the heck with you, you don't need to wear them. Can both sides stop being self-righteous? Can both sides acting like they're somehow better with God by wearing a mask or not wearing a mask? Can, can I tell you, spiritually, a mask doesn't save us. It doesn't earn us brownie points with God, whether we wear a mask or not. What gets us to heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. And, and, it, and it bothers me, and I've been accused on both spectrums. I've been told, Mike, you're a conspiracy theorist. You don't think COVID exists, which is not true. And then I've been accused on the other side, well, you don't have enough faith. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't be wearing a mask. No, I wear a mask because I, I love my neighbor. I love my brother who may want to wear a mask right now. And so, and because here's the thing, if you're someone who's like, well, I don't believe in masks, well, maybe the person who's wearing a mask just came over or got done with a cold. Maybe they just got done with a cold and with everything going on, they just want to take a precaution, right? Or maybe you're someone who, who's for masks and you look down on the person who doesn't wear a mask. Well, maybe, just maybe, the person can't wear a mask because they have a breathing problem. I have a friend who, if he wears a mask for longer than a minute, he's got to take it off because he can't breathe. Let's stop causing division on who's right and who's wrong about wearing a mask, and let's just love each other. If you wear a mask, great, and if you're not one who's not going to wear a mask, just ask your brother and sister, hey, do you want me to wear a mask in front of you or not? And if you're wearing a mask and you see your brother and sister not wearing a mask, don't judge their motives for them, just love them where they're at. Some of you are looking at me like, like I just made, offended you all, Okay. Are you with me? Does it make sense? Like, we're, we're here. Like, like, I, like, I had a hard conversation with someone yesterday. He said, he's like, well, I don't follow Christianity because everyone in the church is a bunch of hypocrites. Well, my first thought was, welcome to the club. <laughs> but, but, the other, but the other thing that really got me, and we'll talk about this later, is that he felt like no one loved him. He, he got judged for all of his tattoos, and he's like, you don't practice what you preach. You don't love me. So why would I, why would I follow you? And I'm just saying, if we can't love each other in God's house, how are we going to show God's love outside of his house? Okay, we're done with masks. Number two. <laughs> Number two, envy. Sin that breaks our fellowship. Envy. A desire for another's gifts, possessions, positions or achievements closely associated with jealousy. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 12, and this is going to be a little bit long, but I think the Apostle Paul uh, does a great job in talking about uh, not allowing envy to come into the church. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And it is that there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet. 
I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unprincipled parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lack it, and there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess, possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly de desire the higher gifts, and I sh will show you a still more excellent way. Whew. You guys with me still? Okay. So you may be saying, that's a lot. What did the Apostle Paul just say? What, what he is saying here is that as one body, we all have a part to play. Just, I love what he says. He's like, your hand doesn't say it wants to be the eye. That'd be weird if my eye was on my hand. Like, think about it. Or my hands, or, it'd just be weird. And, and the problem with envy or being jealous of one another is that we compare our gifts to their gifts. Or, or another fact, we compare our weaknesses to someone's strength. And then we get all mad and jealous and be like, oh man, I wish I had their gift. You know they're looking around saying they wish they had your gift. And we can't all be a one-man show. And here's the thing, it's not about us. I hope you recognize that anyone who comes up here and preaches, it's not about them. It's about preaching the truth of God and who Jesus Christ is. And we can't get caught up in a body like, well, I, make, I want to make sure I get my glory. I want to make sure they recognize me, recognize me. Let me be the big man or big woman on stage. Let me paint a picture with this, and I usually don't do movie references, but this one got me. Who's ever, who's ever watched the, the movie Miracle? Mir anyone? Miracle about the USA hockey team beating the Soviet Russian? Yeah, okay. It, a lot of you didn't. Raise your hand now that I explained it. Go home and watch it. I, I encourage you to go watch it. So in the movie Miracle, there's this coach. His name is uh, Herb Brooks. And, and he's been uh, chosen as the coach to, to go take on the Russian team who has won 42 games in a row. That, like, they haven't lost. And now he's got to put this USA team to, to beat the Russians. And so he puts this team together of 25, 26 college kids, and they're coming in like, I'm doing pretty good. I made the hockey team. I was the all-star on my college team. I'm the big man. And from early on, Coach Herb Brooks is saying, he's asking the players, hey, who do you play for? And they, and they name their college team, or they name the NHL team that they're going to go play for. And then there's a game, they play against Finland, and Coach is pacing up down and forth behind the bench, and team's not playing well. Right? Team's not playing well, they tie the Norwegian team, if I remember correctly, and Coach is mad, and he says, get a whistle, to his assistant coach. So the assistant coach gets a whistle after the game. He tells the players, get back on the ice. And he's like, why? Why, 
why are we getting back on the ice? He's like, get on the ice. And he says to your players, if you didn't want to work hard during the game, fine, you're going to work hard now. Goal line, go do suicides or something like that. Some of you are like, what does this have to do with the body of Christ? Hold on for a sec, I'm getting there. And so they're doing gassers or suicides, whatever it's called. And as they're going down, coach is telling them like all these motivational things. And then he said this one thing that I felt was very clear to what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Corinthians. He says, the name on the jersey, on the front of the jersey, is more important than the name on the back. The name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name of the back. And he says, get that through your head. And they keep going. They keep going. They keep going. And then finally, as the, as the kids are exhausted and tired and they literally can't go anymore, there's this kid named Michael Ruzioni. He just yells, Michael Ruzioni! With all his strength. And he says where he's from, Massachusetts somewhere. And then Coach Herb Brooks, he comes to him he says, who do you play for? I play for the United States of America. And he's like, that's all, gentlemen. They finally came in and they understood they were a team. What does that have to do with the church? It has everything to do with the church. Sometimes we come in here and we have gifts and we want to make sure everyone knows our gifts. Let's just imagine for a second, if you are a Christian, that we have a jersey And on the front, it says Team Jesus. And on the back, it says your name. The name on the front is more important than the name on the back. Jesus Christ is more important. Jesus Christ is the one who is to get all the glory and honor, not ourselves. And so here's what I I would say with your gifts as well. Play your part. Play your part with the gifts that you have. Be thankful for the gifts that God has given you. Listen, I'm grateful that by by the grace of God I can be up here teaching, but you don't want me leading worship. See, my wife just said the big amen to that. You don't want me leading worship. (laughs) That's why I'm glad she can sing and play music and, and instruments. But play your part. If you are a teacher, be the best teacher to teaching God's word that you can. If you are leading worship, be the best worship, not for your glory, but for giving praise and thanking God for the gift that he has given you. I got to move on. We're going, we may be here all day if I don't. All right, number three, slothfulness. The third sin that can break partnership in the body of Christ is slothfulness. And slothfulness is spiritual apathy and inactivity. Spiritual apathy and inactivity. Romans 12, 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Be fervent in spirit. When I read this scripture, you know what it tells me? It tells me we have a responsibility to keep our spiritual fervent. We have a responsibility to keep our zeal, our passion for proclaiming the gospel message. And maybe you come in here this morning or maybe you've been coming here the last several weeks, months, or maybe years and you don't have that passion anymore. Maybe, maybe you've lost that zeal from the first time you said, yes, I am going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. 
And, and you see what's going all around and, and you let the, the cultural influences affect your mind, affect your soul, water down your passion. And I would encourage you here today, be fervent in the Spirit. Find that zeal. Find that passion that you once had for proclaiming the gospel message. I encourage you in one way to do this. Read your Bible every day. Be in the Word of God every day. I'll tell you this. If you're in God's Word every day, you'll never lose your passion. You'll never lose your passion. Yes, you may have a dry season. And you may say, God, this is... This doesn't seem like it's working, but your passion, your fire for the gospel message will continue. Seek God through prayer. Ask God, God, I don't know what is distracting me, what is keeping me down, what has caused me to lose my zeal, but show that and remove that. For me, it was video games and TV. This may sound weird, but Rachel and I, we don't have a TV right now. We're going Amish, I guess. <laughs> But those were things that were distracting. And I'm not telling you to give up your TV. I'm not telling you if you're a kid, you play video games again. That's, that's just what we had to do. We as a team in partnership said, this is what we need to do to advance the gospel message. What's distracting you? What's, what's causing you to fall into slothfulness and apathy? And get rid of it. Just get rid of it. All right, so how do we restore this broken fellowship that, that's when sin can creep in? Number, number one is repent and seek, give, seek forgiveness. Repent and seek forgiveness. Number one, repent to God. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we repent to God and seek forgiveness for God, we need to make sure we seek forgiveness towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says the following, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against you, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I don't know about you, but asking for forgiveness is tough. Especially when you let the sin of pride get in your way. If you think you're right, how many of you, you, you get to the point where you think you're always right sometimes? Like, like Rachel and I, Rachel and I were just having a conversation about an email the other day, and, and she says to me, "Mike, I, stop, stop trying to insist that you're right. You may actually be wrong here." And I'm like, "Okay, you're right." And that was hard for me to say that she's right. And we've all, and listen, some of you are like, "No, I would never." Yes, we've all been there. We, we've all been there when it when it's hard to ask for forgiveness to say, "I'm sorry, I was wrong. Can you forgive me?" It, it, it takes humility to admit that we were wrong. But if we're able to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness, we can restore that fellowship. Too many times, whether it's in God's house here or in culture, relationships are broken because no one wants to humble themselves and, and restore the broken relationship. Listen, if the other person was 99% wrong and you were the 1% wrong, just ask for forgiveness on 1%. I'm sure it was more than 1%, but just kidding. If you're wrong just in the 1%, ask and seek forgiveness in the 1%. 
Number two, how we can restore broken fellowship. Encourage and be thankful towards one another. Encourage and be thankful towards one another. Paul wrote this numerous times in in chapter 1 of Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all making my prayer with joy. Again, he's in jail. And he's encouraging them and being thankful for them. In Colossians 3, 14 through 15, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful for... Listen, we were talking about it earlier in prayer with those who serve. Myself and the rest of the staff, we are thankful for everyone in here. We're thankful for everyone... Actually, if you do serve at any capacity in the church, can you stand up for a second? Just stand up if you have served here at Morningstar at any point. Listen, thank you. Here is why we're thankful for you guys. Whether you serve within the church and going outside the church to proclaim the gospel message is because we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. As I said, it's not a one-man show. It's going to take all of us together. If we're truly going to see Quakertown, Coopersburg, Pennsburg, Perkesee, all the county areas turned upside down for the gospel message, we need to work together as a team. And some of you, maybe you're at a point right now where you're like, you really think that can happen in everything that's going on? Yes! In the midst of a hopeless situation, that's when God's hope comes in. That's when God's hope can come in. This is our prime opportunity to share real, truthful, joyful hope. Not a false hope, not a false gospel, but the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ. There's no better time than right now. So how do we do all this? Number three. Number three is that we need to cultivate an agape-type love. An agape-type love. In Philippians 1.9, Paul said, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That word there, love, is an agape love. When you look at the Greek, there's like four or five different terms for love. You know? and, and this one here is agape. And an agape love is unconcerned with the self and concerned with the greatest good of another. Agape isn't born just out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. That's a key word. Agape love is a choice. Agape love requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. Again, agape love is a choice, a deliberate striving for another highest good. And is demonstrated through action. I want to read something here in the book of Acts. As I mentioned earlier, when the Apostle Paul uh, founded the church in Philippi. And if you read the second half of Acts 16, it talks about the Philippian jailer that was converted. And I'm going to read verses 25 to 34 because this is where the Apostle Paul chose to love someone who was keeping him in prison or guarding him to stay in prison. Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
Again, the joy of the Lord is in them. They're in prison. I'll move on. Did you guys understanding this joy? We can be joyful in the midst of the, the conflicts. Okay. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bond, bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called the lights for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. And he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul chose love instead of hate. The Apostle Paul and Silas could have easily just ran out and watched the jailer kill himself. But they didn't. They chose an agape love. They chose, wait, 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 don't do it. I know you've been holding us behind bars. Don't do it. And they come to him. And then the jailer trembles, what must I do? And, and listen, watch this. If you didn't catch it, I encourage you to go read it, reread it again. Because Cho, Paul chose to give agape love, the jailer then chose to give agape love. When the, when the jailer was converted, he chose, okay, I'm going to clean your wounds. I'm going to feed you guys and everything. Because of Paul's choice to love the jailer, the jailer then chose to love Paul and the rest of the prisoners. And while Paul's example is great, before I get there, we need, we, we need to recognize this, that the agape love does not come naturally to us because of our sinful nature. Listen, listen I know it's easy to love our families and everything like that. Sometimes we could come into a church and be like, I really don't want to love this person today. You have to make that choice. Are you, are you, are you going to, every single person that comes in here, I don't care if you're on the greeting team, if you're on the worship team, the media team, serving with kids, you have to make a choice every single say, am I going to love you or not? And if someone's new here today or someone's been new for a while, they'll know. Well, they'll know if, if we're choosing to love or not. And while the Apostle Paul's example was great, there is no greater agape love than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater love than the, than the choice that Jesus Christ made. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. He willingly chose to give his life as a ransom for us. We're going through Mark with the students, and we just finished up the chapter where Paul, or I'm sorry, Jesus is on a 20-mile journey to Jerusalem, and he has his, eye, his face set like flint to go to Jerusalem. He's not scared. He's got the confidence. He's choosing to die. And you may be asking, for what? For us. For, for me. For, for Rachel. For 
I just lost your name. I was going to say someone else's name as an example, but for all of us in here. He chose to die for the entire world. Why? Because he loves us. He, he loves us. He knows, he knows that because God is a holy God, our sinful nature, we cannot come together. We needed a mediator. We can't get to heaven on our own. Jesus Christ said, I'll pay that price. Jesus Christ said, I will pay that price for you. So maybe you come in here today and, and you don't have any joy. Maybe you've never experienced this agape love. You've been trying to love things of the world, love things of the culture, and it's not filling that void in your heart. I'm telling you, it's not going to. The only thing that's going to fill that void is the agape love of Jesus Christ. And so as we get ready for this song, this worship song, I first want to call anyone in here who for the first time is going to surrender their life to Jesus Christ, I, I would love for you to come down to the altar. And prayer team, if some prayer team want to come up, we would love to pray with you for that. And for us who are in fellowship with Christ, during this worship song, I want us to prepare our hearts. I want us to prepare our hearts for communion because communion isn't just something, okay, yeah, we drink this and we eat this and we're done. No, 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 no. Communion reminds us of the fellowship that we have with Christ because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. So if you've sown any discord in the church, ask God for forgiveness and seek forgiveness from someone here in the church. If you're envious of someone's gifts and talents, ask God for forgiveness. If any way you have not been a team player, Seek God and ask for forgiveness before we go into this time and celebrating the fellowship we have with Christ. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the name on the back of the jersey. It's about the name on the front of the jersey. And our jersey is Team Jesus. So let me pray and go into worship. Father God, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for everyone here, Lord Jesus. I, I thank you for all those who have partnered in sharing the gospel message, Lord God. Holy Spirit, I pray for anyone in here, first and foremost, who doesn't have a partnership with you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you continue to uh, convict their hearts, show them if there's someone in here who's even scared to come to the altar to, to feel like they are... Um, not uh, that they will look silly. God, I think all of us at some time who proclaim to be Christ followers, we've been there at one point. Holy Spirit, I pray that you give them the peace to just surrender right now, to surrender right now, to just come to the altar and say, I am giving my life to you, Jesus. And Father, for us who have fellowship with you, who have surrendered our lives to you, Lord Jesus, I pray right now as we go into this worship song that we take time to examine our hearts. We, we, we ask for forgiveness where we need to ask for forgiveness, whether it's causing division, whether it's being envious of someone. Whatever it is, Lord God, I pray that our hearts are prepared for the communion, Lord God, where we are going to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, thanking you and remembering what you did on the cross for us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's just stand as we sing this last song.
even when I don't feel that you're working, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. When I don't even when I don't working, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. so easy for us to go on attack, to us to be self-righteous, think that we're right, and we may be, but uh, when we push someone else down, it's not right. We need to show Jesus. So maybe there's somebody this morning, I just feel like God's saying, there's someone here this morning, there's a few of us. We need to go to the person next to us, the person around us, the person upstairs, the person downstairs. We need to say we're sorry. We just got to say, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't like your attitude, and um, I just want to say I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that to you. Think that about you. Because if we're not doing church here, (laughs) we're doing a disservice to the Lord especially as we gather around the table right now, right? It says if you have something against your brother, you go to them. You might not even be worthy enough this morning to take, to partake, because you got work to do. Let's not take God's, God's, Jesus' blood for granted. He wants us to be like him, church, come on. He wants us to be like him. 
So I just ask if you're not, if you're not right before the Lord this morning, just sit down. It's okay. Just sit down and spend some time with him right now. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not worthy to partake. But I need you, Lord, to forgive me. Maybe it's that person next to you that you need to seek forgiveness to. So don't, don't let the day go by. Maybe it's someone at home. Maybe it's a son or... Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's your parents. Whoever that is this morning, I just see so many things just running through my head right now. But don't let this message go by, Lord. Do work on us, Lord, as we leave here today and as we partake right now, Lord. Just touch that person and encourage them to do what's right and to go to that person and to seek forgiveness. Just to say I'm sorry, as Mike said this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That's all, brother. everything that Dave just said there. We, we aren't worthy to take this. It's only through Christ, Him being the way maker in our lives. Not just personal things that we're going through right now, but the way maker for us to be in holy communion with God one day. Through what He did on the cross. And so this is why we do this. As, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we do this as a remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so I'm gonna, we're going to take the bread first, and I'm just going to pray. And when, we, when Jesus was at the Last Supper with his disciples, they were gathered around, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. I will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That agape love to... to to, to go through the shame, to go through the torture, to, to be mocked and spit on and to ridicule. Puts it in a different perspective. So Father God, as we prepare to, to, to eat this bread, Lord God, we do this in remembrance of you. God, we, we thank you for sacrificing your life for us as a ransom. And you didn't have to do it. There were many times you were tempted. The enemy wanted to, Satan himself wanted to give you the kingdom of this world, and you said no. You were in the garden of, garden of Gethsemane praying, God, if there's another way, let this cup pass. But you said, if there's no other way, your will be done, Father, not mine. You willingly chose to go to the cross for us. And so, Father, as we eat this bread, we thank you as a remembrance of what your body went through so we can be in holy communion with you and, and the God the Father one day. Let's eat. During the Last Supper, after taking the bread, they, they took the wine and he passed it around. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that will be shed for you and for many. Drink this in remembrance of me. It's crazy to think 
and our sinful nature. And that God would willingly go to the cross for us. And that his blood does cover all of our sins. And we all have sins that we're we're still dealing with, that sins that Christ needs to work in our lives. And it's only by his blood that they are being worked on. So Father God, the blood that you shed for us, Lord God, while the physical pain was tremendous and the, and the blood that you had to, the, the, that would just drip down, Lord God, you also took on the weight of all of our sins, the, the spiritual wrath from God the Father, all poured out on you, all sins of our past, present, and future, all poured out on you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the agape love choice that you made. Thank you for loving us so much that you would be willing to be the ransom, to be the mediator between us and God. It is by your stripes, it is by your blood that we are saved. And I feel like thank you isn't enough. So Father, may it be our aim to please you in all things that we do. Let's drink. Thank you, Jesus. And so I I just want to close in prayer again. If you are here for the first time and you don't know Jesus, if you've never had that fellowship with Jesus, we'd love for you to come up and we'd love to pray with you. Also as well, if you're in here today and you're looking for that joy, you're in the midst of something right now and you need that joy, come up and pray. We'll pray for you any way that we can here today. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone here once again, Lord God. I pray that we can leave this building, leave the house of the Lord, encouraged to walk out of here as a team together to proclaim the gospel message. As we are partners for the kingdom of God, it's team Jesus all the way. It's not about our glory, it's not about our honor, but it's about team Jesus, Father. So equip us, strengthen us, give us that passion, give us that fervent zeal to proclaim your message in everywhere we go, in our household, our work, the grocery store, wherever it may be. Help us choose an agape love here on out. And I pray this in Jesus' heavenly name. Amen. Amen. Won't you help me sing this? make in the darkness, my God, let us be real. We make a miracle work, a promise keep. Light in the darkness, my God, let us be Have a blessed week, everyone.